Yeah. We have so, seasons here. We we have the seasons here, and I I'm from New Mexico originally. So uh, when I moved back about nine years ago, um, it's the weather's changed here from nine years ago when I first got here. So um, I'm you know we're all adjusting, but it's uh, we're used to snow, but not. Uh, my house is six thousand feet, and I'm under the the lovely Sandia um, Mountains. So um, I, you know, I get snow up high at 10,000 feet. You can look up and see snow. If we get it here, it melts very quickly. So you can build a snowman and it's gone the next day. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, when I was a little girl, we had one snowstorm. It was like in the, I think it was the 60s. No, the early 70s. And we had a snowstorm, but the snow when the snow hits the pavement, it melted immediately. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, we get that here too, um, where at my <clears throat> excuse me at my elevation, but um, when it does actually stick, it it's only on for a couple of days. So all the kids run out real fast and build snowmen. The first time I ever got to do that was when we were moving across country. We were up at Flagstaff, Arizona. And oh, yeah. Yeah, that's on um, the way back. And I <laughs> ran out into the motel parking lot and started playing in the snow. <laughs> my, oh. my mom's screaming, you have a cold, Cherry, come back. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, everything's different now, and we just all have to adjust, I guess, because we can't, you know, it's know. maybe too late to fix it, which kind of worries me, but... Uh. Yeah, I know. I know. And and it's so strange. It's the 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 steps to fix everything is so simple. And I I really I I don't want to get political cuz I don't do political. But it just it's 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 really sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I do what I can. We all can, you know, do what we can. <laughs> Lower the footprint and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh but I, it, you just—I feel sorry for the next generations. Yeah, I know. Well, a lot of them are stepping up. The young, the you know, kids are stepping up and doing what they can. So, so that's nice to see. Yeah, the generation before me, because I'm I'm a child. I I was basically a teen in the seventies, but the sixties mm-hmm. were the ones who really were, you know, sixties and early seventies. Well, no. I was a child in the 70s, so I wasn't part of, I was actually, my generation, my college generation was the 80s, and the active generation Mm -hmm. was the 70s. So now Uh the active generation is now. And the uh, (laughs) generation was before. There's always, you know how it goes cyclical? (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Everything old is new again, too. I found because uh, I was a kid and I was a kid and or yet yeah, very young and a kid in the '60s. So I have the clothes are all back. So I have bell-bottom jeans that I can actually get into, and that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing because I couldn't I for a while. Really but loved, I loved bell-bottoms. I mean, well, they're I back. Really <laughs> they are back. So. And Dig them out I wore and yeah. and the mini skirts and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, I wore all that. Uh, so did Dorothy Fontana, my you know my good buddy and co-writer. Yeah, she uh, she had some hot mini skirts. I remember. <laughs> I didn't meet her till I didn't meet her till the seventies, but I I I've seen pictures of her in the sixties with her hot mini skirts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the Mary Quant look, right? <laughs> Yes, very much. Yeah, I think Mary yeah, passed. I, uh, Mary Quant just passed away, I believe. Yeah, just like about a week ago. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah I was so sad. I mean, those boot, those white boots I begged my parents for for a whole year. I finally got. I was <laughs> ten years old. Yeah, I never I had thought, white ones. I had yeah, I had the boots, but they weren't white. <laughs> I was about uh, ten years old, and I had seen it on a TV show. I don't remember. I think it was that girl or something. And I really oh, yeah. wanted boots like that. Yeah, she had and, some cool outfits. <laughs> oh, my God, didn't she? 
Well, she mm. said that when she got the job to do that girl, she was in England doing Barefoot in the Park, and Mary Corbin mm. just became popular. So she brought all the clothes back with her to uh, L.A., and, mm. you know, she just wore her own clothes. <laughs> mm. I didn't realize that. That's, wow. Then she was kind of ahead of the times. Yeah, she, she, that's because she was in England, and she was, you know, Carnaby Street and all that. She was there, and she saw it. So she yeah. brought it home. <laughs> well, thank God. I guess the show didn't have a, a, a fashion, you know, a, a stylist or a fashion designer, or maybe they saw it and just went, oh, my God, just wear that. <laughs> well, I'm sure they styled her still. But, yeah. I mean, but um, – you know, but the clothes were, I mean, I don't think they really, the ones that she, uh, she was talking about it. And she's, um, I get the DVDs and I'm one of those weirdos who listen to all the interviews. No, I do too. <laughs> and she was talking about I love to listen yeah, that's, to behind the scenes interviews. <laughs> yeah, those are some of the fun stuff. Yeah. I don't think they yeah, do so, them as much anymore. Yeah. I know you, uh, the best you can get sometimes is just the um, I don't know what they call it. It's like a the the like the director, the writer, maybe a star will do a voiceover while the show is going. Yeah, the commentary. That's sometimes that's yeah. all you get. Yeah, well, I was um, a part of my entertainment journalism I did for years was uh, reviewing, you know, Blu-rays and DVDs, Blu-rays, and. Uh, yeah, I noticed it changing that less lestras, you know, unless it was a blooper reel, which is always fun. <laughs> There's a show that I really like. It's called Burn Notice. It's it's not on anymore, but it's, it's one of my favorite yes, shows. Yes, I, I saw that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they used to have they on the DVDs. They had all of it. They had they had behind the scenes. They had blooper reels. They had so the voice of. I mean, they had. Um, uh, like uh, the producer talking about how it, you know how in the show you you watch the show you know how um, Mike oh my name is Michael Weston and I used to be a spy you know the whole yeah you know, and he, you know how when he's like doing his MacGyver thing and he's building something he does a voiceover well apparently mm-hmm. it sounds just like the producer because one of his high school friends called him and said. When I watch it, it's like listening to you talk for an hour. <laughs> Just bearing, being well, what blooper reels? That's a funny story. Uh, when I used to accompany Dorothy to um, Fontana to conventions, she literally okay. carried the blooper reel, and it was a reel. In those days, it was film, and it was a reel, a great big, you know, reel in a can. And we would carry that thing around and, um, you know, guard it with our lives. And uh, then she'd show it. At some point, she'd give it to convention uh, officials who would show it. And make. And then she'd guard it with her life till she got it back. So that was hilarious, though. Those are some of the old Trek bloopers. And some of those are really funny, watching Leonard Nimoy crack up all the time. And uh, totally against his Spock persona was really funny. I, uh, I I've seen it. I've been at those conventions. I was probably at one of the conventions you were at. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you then, but yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you were. I, I the funniest ones were for when they went into the turbo lift and they walked into the doors. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen the same reel. Yeah, I, I imagine. Yeah, bang because somebody didn't pull the door. Yeah. It didn't pull it fast enough, yeah. Or they're inside no. and they can't get it out. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trapped in the el- so-called elevator or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an elevator. There's some great stuff. Turbo lift. Yeah. I yeah, love those the things. So or or yeah. when they were all dancing or something. and. <laughs> Well, there's always the verbal bloopers, you know, saying silly oh, things. And I like the physical ones like that, though. The physical ones are really funny. Yeah. <laughs> like I the end, I think once the, um, Shatner popped his, um, uh, you know, communicator and it just fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the glue did, I guess somebody needed to fix that prop or something. And so he just flipped it and it just... The the lid fell off. 
funny. I can't help but I like to watch. I like to watch things like that. Very oh, human. Very, I love yeah. it. It, it, just, it shows you, you know, these are people and they, they make mistakes and things happen. Oh, for know. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd love I, to be I, a fly I, on the wall. Yeah. Well, that's your chance is watching the bloopers. It's part of the chance to be a fly on the wall. It's about as close as you can get. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you're on set, which I've been. I'm lucky enough to have been on set, but not when too many bad things were going on. But <laughs> not the first trick. I mean, just in my whole life of work, I've been on sets plenty of times and seen a few things go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was. Uh, I was. I was an actor in in the uh, '80s and a little bit in the '90s. And oh wow! I didn't I know was, that you acted. Awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I was. I mean, that was one of my things. One of my goals was to be an actor and a writer. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I, I was working on T.J. Hooker, and a light bulb exploded that was on the – I think it was like – it wasn't a click light. It was a little light, but it actually exploded. Oh and the <sighs> girl who was behind – it was uh, behind the um, – the desk was like a sergeant, the sergeant's desk. She, mm-hmm. she could have been really badly hurt, but actually Shatner did. He was a hero that day. He actually tackled her out of the way of it. Oh, my God. He pushed her out of the way, and, and uh, James Darren was on the other side catching her. And they, you know, the two of them, they, they didn't coordinate, but they, it, it was like they worked together to save this poor girl. Yeah, well, thank God. Yeah, I know. Well, there's da- there are dangerous things. Um, you know, I I was um, when I was doing entertainment journalism, I was on in an ice house in the valley with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal for um, the day after tomorrow movie about you know the big freeze and um, it was a kind of a disaster movie. And uh, mm-hmm. we were in an ice house for, you know, just because it was cold and the movie was cold. So they thought they'd stick the press in an ice house. So we're sitting there. But then, of course, they have all of the crazy um, cameras and they're melting the ice. The ca- you know, they got oh. the cameras on in there. So the uh, the visual press was in there. And I'm sitting there and Jake sits down and there was an empty chair by me. So he ends up right next to me and we were listening to somebody talk about weather or whatever and drip, drip. And we both looked up and there was stuff they had, there were stalactites of ice on the ceiling of this ice house and they were dripping on our heads. So (sighs) any minute, one of them was going to cut loose and kill somebody. So it was like, we all moved and we made the um, the TV press turn off their cameras because the heat from the cameras was, you know, melting the freaking <laughs> So we almost had our own disaster movie. But that was just crazy crap like that, you know. You'd think somebody would know, uh-oh, lights melt ice. <laughs> that, was a, that was a kick. So that was really interesting to have Jake Gyllenhaal and I getting, you know, wet, Wet hair on the top from something dripping that was going to melt and kill everybody. <laughs> Jeez, that's really scary. <laughs> well, it was it was stupid, is what it was. It was like, well, yeah, how how do you not know that? You know, there's some lights, the lights that go with the cameras. You know, will will melt ice. <laughs> that's true. That's really true. I mean, it's, that's heat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, that's interesting. Is that the movie that they had the song "Morning After" from? The what? I'm sorry. Was that the movie that they had the song "It's the, the Morning After"? Oh no, that's a much older movie. This is this is on still now all the time. It's um, it was a huge freeze that was freezing everything and snow and it was freezing New York and Jake Gyllenhaal was a kid high school kid who was uh, stuck in New York and his dad uh, had to come save him. And uh, it's a more recent movie. It's called The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, okay. Because I, I can't remember the name of the movie. I think it was that. the I 2000s, look- the early 2000s or middle 2000s or something. 
Oh, well, that, yeah, that's late. Okay. Now, the one I was thinking about was, like, I think it was the 80s, I think. Oh, the morning after. That was from the Poseidon, the original Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that that was from the, they remade that as the first version, yeah. The one with Gene Hackman. Was it Poseidon Adventure or was it the Towering Inferno? I always get the two mixed up. No, it was Poseidon. I remember this chick singing the song on a boat. (laughs) So it was the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, nobody was singing while the the building was burning. I don't think they had a song in that one. <laughs> yeah, when I grew up, there was a lot of disaster movies. There was Earthquake. Yeah, exactly. The Towering Inferno. <laughs> yeah, there were a bunch made from novels. They were adapted from novels. Yeah. I just uh, and they got really good, excellent actors in them, is which was crazy. I mean. Oh yeah, they were all stars. Yeah, Stephen yeah. McQueen and. Uh, God, Paul everybody. Newman, William Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. um, oh Earthquake. That's that's the other one. The other I was I saw that at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, where mm-hmm. the seats they had the seats wired to shake. So you'd be watching Earthquake and your seat would be moving. But what here we go again about things almost falling on my head. What they didn't think about was the rumbling of these seats was making the dirt and the stuff from the lights at the top of the Chinese theater, the old original theater, shake down yeah, on people's yeah. heads. So you'd get a piece of flaking paint and pieces of dirt on your head while you're watching this stupid movie. <laughs> oh God. No, I, I don't I I don't I think we we saw it in a regular theater in the valley, so we didn't have the, the we we heard about it, but we didn't get those seats. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah, well, I'm just glad a piece of um, Chinese uh, masonry did not fall on everybody's heads. I don't know. It seems seems to be pretty well built. Well, it it was until they started rumbling and and, uh, making extra noises and extra physical shaking. They just wired the seats so the seats actually shook. It was creepy. (laughs) It was a scary enough movie. They didn't need to do that. No, and especially since um, I lived through the Northridge quake, that wasn't any fun. Me too. I yeah, was, I, I remember. Did, uh, I went through uh, my first quake was in seventy one or seventy. It was the Silmar quake, and the next quake was the, the major quake was the Northridge quake, and the Northridge yeah. quake was oh, the yeah. worst quake I've ever been in ever in my oh, life. Yeah, it was terrifying. <laughs> I was um, I lived in. Um, well, parts of North Hollywood, I wasn't that close to the epicenter, but just enough because uh, I was in a condo and, uh, oh, my God, cracked, cracks everywhere, you know, rocking back and forth and people screaming and, oh, God, it was not – four in the morning, I think. Yeah, it was. And we were not – we were neighbors because we were in Valley Village. Oh, okay. Yeah, this we was right um, – <laughs> yeah, I forget what's the name of the street. Whitset. I think I was on Whitset. Oh my God! Um, really? We were on Whitset too, but in Valley Whit- Village, North Hollywood was the next one. Okay, so we were just down the street. Yeah, they didn't condemn our building, but they condemned the one next to us. And uh, you know, plate glass windows broke out, and oh my God, my TV flew across the room and almost hit me on the head. Things were flying everywhere, and I just remember I just remember hearing all this screaming. I thought who's screaming? Then I realized, oh, it's me. <laughs> me and the me and the kid next door was really screaming. But yeah, not fun. I'm glad I don't live in earthquake country anymore. I'm my house sits on solid granite here in Albuquerque. I I remember that mostly because we were worried about our cat. We had two cats. Oh yeah, mine hid in the cabinet. Uh, well, my what, my cat, the little furry idiot, went behind the refrigerator. Oh, no. The refrigerator moved. I was just glad. Well, mine fell over. My refrigerator stuff. fell over, yeah, and, and yeah. you know, Cairo syrup and everything all over the kitchen. Yeah. And then Kitty, my brother's cat, went under my bed, claws up, and she must have been like that for hours. We finally, we, we couldn't find her. We were really worried. 
so my dad's big, huge bookshelf fell over with all the books, and we thought they were both under there. And I was, that's oh. when I got hysterical. I was crying, and my dad's pulling oh. the books. My dad and my brother's pulling the bookshelf and looking through the books, and no, they're not here. And it was oh, all no. flashlights, so it was still dark, and there's, and, you know, no lights, of course. Yeah. So that's uh. We started looking around the apartment and we found them. But God, that's when I really was hysterical. I thought our cats were dead. Well, I thought my cat had gotten out because some of the windows broke. And uh, what happened is um, he was hiding inside a kitchen cabinet way on the corner. So I didn't find him till I saw the reflection of the of his eyes. You know how cats' eyes you can see yeah, the light bounce back. So I thought. You're so far in the corner of the cabinet that I would never have found if I didn't see the reflection. So that took me about – it took about eight hours for me to find him, you know. But yeah. I was scared he'd run around. He'd gotten out and was running around the neighborhood or something. Oh, God. But anyway, those earthquakes are not fun. <laughs> no, they are not fun. I, I, and every time I hear, oh, I, I didn't mind, I had fun. I'm like, you are lying. God, I never heard anybody <laughs> say that. I've never heard a person um, say that. <laughs> people hmm. say that in person at, at a party or something, or they say it after the quake on the news or whatever. It's always like uh. acting like, well, oh, the- it was like a roller coaster. No, it's well, little, not. <laughs> little ones are one thing, but ones that are breaking all your furniture and uh, your TV almost hits you on the head and kills you, and things fall. Yeah, this it was bad. Um, so no, those don't. Those aren't fun. <laughs> when no. you see the cracks form in your door frame up into the ceiling, and it just starts at the edge of the door frame and moves to the ceiling, you think, okay, I'm gonna die. You know, <laughs> this is not. Not funny. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I've been to two majors, and, yeah, they're not fun. And anybody who says an earthquake, especially at that level of fun, they're out of their gourd. (laughs) Yeah, or desperately in need of something uh, exciting. (laughs) I was glad when Um, I moved here I don't have to, you know, fix my cabinets so that they are, are, uh, you know, welded shut. So my dishes don't fall out. You don't have to do that here. So that's good. Yeah. I know, I know. But yeah, you guys have other stuff. I mean, we are on a seismic planet, and there's, there's disasters in every area. So there's no safe place. <laughs> no, great. <laughs> well, there isn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, don't, I try not to think of that. We have wildfires um, here, but, uh, you know, not earthquakes. Oh, we have that, too. We have the fires and we have the floods. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing about earthquakes is it happens, the big ones happen about every 20 years or so in different places. So, if, mm-hmm. if And California is a big state. So if it happens in Oakland or in San Francisco, you don't, you feel it, but you don't, it's like a small quake to you. So it's not yeah. any, and and you know you've lived here. If you've lived in California and you've gone through quakes, something under a four is nothing. Yeah, yeah pretty so much. That's yeah, not a that's quake that's to a native. <laughs> that might break, might knock a picture off your wall, and that's about it. You know, yeah. Yeah. So. And even that's not, you know, it's not a big deal. It just, Mm-mm. yeah, anything that's a below a four, really, we don't consider a quake. <laughs> Yeah, kind of a jaded attitude, yeah. (laughs) Um, I did tell you that I met your writing partner um, once, right? Yes, yeah. I think you were on a panel together, I believe, too. Yeah, Yeah, we were on a writing panel. And Ah. um, I had done my second book, Fantasy Time, Inc., and so I was there. uh, I had a table, too, but I was there doing a bunch of panels. And when I looked at the program, for people said, who don't know, we're talking about Dorothy D.C. Fontana. That's <laughs> Dorothy Fontana. You know, I know what we're talking about. From Star Trek. Yeah. Yes. She, and other that's things. That's why she's carrying the blooper reel. <laughs> yes. She, she was yep. a um, she was a writer and she was a producer later and all kinds of story stuff. editor. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and she not she didn't do just science fiction. She did a lot of western shows and um, you know the streets of San Francisco and a whole lot of uh, various TV stuff and wrote books as well. So yeah, yes, people just did. think that all she did was write you know help create Spock, but it was more. <laughs> she wrote a lot of stuff. I actually have some of her books. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually yep. I have her books. I have Gene Roddenberry's book. I have David Darrell's book. Yeah, because I'm a real Star Trek first uh, original fan. I love that show. <laughs> and oh, yeah. Next Generation. Those are my two fa- those are my two babies. Those are my two favorites. <laughs> oh yeah. There. Well, it, you have a lot of divided people. I, I'm somebody who mostly likes just about all of it. Although I like the new uh, couple of the new things. I enjoyed Picard. I'm. It's over now. It's wrapped. Uh, yeah, I but that was yeah. a nice wrap. I thought they did a good job. But there are people that just yeah. hate. If they like classic, they hate all the others. And I, I'm more versatile. I don't hate any of them. There's some I don't watch as much as others. But, um, I'm not. You know. No, I was just saying that those are my two favorites. I don't hate any of them. Um, yeah. But my, my new favorite. And, and and it is coming back is Strange New World. I love that one. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's quite that's that's fun. The the writing has been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Uh and they have so a great I did cast. watch the animated there's an animated one that I haven't watched. I forget the name of that one and I'm sure your listeners will know, but uh, I didn't watch that. I mean, not the old animated one that Dorothy had um, a lot to do with, the newer animated show. That's more, the I think it's more funny. One. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not an expert on that, so at all. But uh, I enjoyed Picard, and I like Strange New Worlds, and uh, we'll see um, what else they come up with. They'll always come up with something. Oh, yeah. You're not going to let Star Trek go away. But you were telling the story of how you were on a panel. You were talking about being on a panel with Dorothy, and I interrupted. Go ahead and tell me about that. Oh, oh. Um, yeah, uh, there's there's a major convention here that's called Comic-Con, but there's a small convention that's called Condor. There's several. And, mm-hmm. and that was – and I had um, been going there. In fact, my first ever panel was on Condor. I, was, I sat next to Larry Niffin on that one. Um, oh, Larry, yeah. yeah. Yeah, on our fan really site, cool. on our, i got to tell you, right, you mentioned Larry. On our fan site for Futurist Rex, our book, we have a fan site, and I've got a picture I put up there of Larry and I in costume at a Worldcon in Washington, D.C. in the mid-'70s. And we were a couple. We, we wore costumes that were designed by Fran Evans, and we were like an alien bridal couple. So oh, there's a picture of me. <laughs> With Larry. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. You're talking about Larry. <laughs> no, no, I, that, no, I was just saying that was my first one. And I was ah. really scared and nervous. And he was sitting next to me, and he said, are you okay? And I said, I'm just nervous. He goes, it's okay. He goes, just, just take a breath and say what you think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... It was so funny because it was a few years later that I met Dorothy. Um, we were both early. We were the only ones in the room. It was an empty uh, room. <laughs> um, the two of us were like about 10 minutes early. And oh, I yeah. was early. So, yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> so I was sitting at the table and Dorothy goes in. She goes, oh, hi. And I go, hi. Because <laughs> <laughs> I recognized her. And she goes, um, yeah. would you mind if I sit next to you? I go, no. <laughs> and yep. I and and I said and she goes hi I'm Dorothy Fontana I go yeah I know I go I said my name's Sherry Rabinowitz and we shook hands and she sat down she goes why do you sound so nervous I go because you're you're you you're Dorothy Fontana <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I I can start my whole story of how I met her and uh, everything, but you probably don't want to hear that now. I don't know (laughs) if you do or not. No, I I, I do. No, I just was going to tell you how she made me feel better, that's all. Uh, Uh, Well, she would, yeah, she was never, never snotty, never holier than thou, never I'm famous, not at all, no. Nothing like that. 
she says, I, I guess you could make her mad if they asked insulting questions or said something. You know, you could you could get her mad by asking a stu- really stupid or insulting question or something. But as far as meeting new people, she was never standoffish. Oh no, no, not she was sweetheart. She was really mm-hmm. kind, and I was like, I was. It was me. I was the one who was scared. She she just was oh, really. Oh, I understand. <laughs> And so she sat down next to me, and she said, "She says, I guess you're a fan of Star Trek." I go, "Yeah." And she goes, "Well, so am I." <laughs> <laughs> and she asked, yeah. and we were just, and she says, "So, um, wh- um, what are you? What did you write?" And I told her, and she goes, "Oh, I love time travel. That is so cool." And we just started talking, mm-hmm. and I felt so much better. And by the time she calmed me down. That's when the other people, the people started floating into yep. the room and the other panelists. But I sat next to Dorothy the whole time, and I took a picture with her, and it came out really fuzzy. So then the next yes. day I saw her outside, and I said, my picture came out fuzzy. She goes, okay, come here. And we took another picture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nope, nope. Always that. That is a, a very common story of people I've, that have come up to me to say, you know, when they met her and how she treated them. But <clears throat> I, uh, well, God, this is a long story. I'll try to make it short. I uh, always admired, I found out that D.C. Fontana of Star Trek was a woman. And I went, oh, my God, that's my favorite. All those f- favorite episodes are written by this person. So when I mm-hmm. moved down to L.A. from San Francisco, uh, I had KRON stationery because I had worked at Cron TV in um, NBC affiliate in San Francisco. So I wrote her a, a snail mail letter at that point. This was about 1972 or three. No, 1973, I think. Very young little me. And I had worked at um, this station in San Francisco. And then I, I kept the stationery and I wrote her a snail mail letter saying, I admire you so much and I really need some tips on how the heck to get into television here. I'd like to write it. I'd like to produce it. I just want to get into not news. I've been in news. I want to be uh, telling stories, and I'd like to get into television. Maybe you have some tips. But it was more more professionally written than I'm saying, but um, it was quite well written. So I mailed that, and I thought, Ash, I'm never going to hear. Of course, you know, she got got a million things to do. And a week later, my phone rang, and it was her. And she said, uh, I have got some tips for you. <laughs> so why don't you meet me? Yeah, why don't you meet me at Lucy's El Adobe across the street from Paramount for dinner, and I'll tell you all about it. I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, here's somebody that singled out my letter and just asking for tips and uh, wanted to meet me. So I went down there, and that's the begin. You know, we shared some wine and some Mexican food, and she gave me some tips, and that was the beginning of a 45-year friendship. <laughs> that is so great. I love yeah, she said, like I, she said, I don't look just like all my pictures, so I'll be wearing a name tag with a flying horse on it. <laughs> and I, I kind of thought, uh, I thought, uh, because I didn't know anything about science fiction conventions or name tags or anything at that point. So I just thought, she has a name tag with a phone. Okay. So I, I go in, and I think the picture I had seen of her was more blonde-haired, and she was, you know, more more brownish-reddish hair. So I, I thought, oh, maybe, oh, that's her. And then here's this big name tag with a beautiful embroidered or um, petty point uh, flying horse on it with her name on it. <laughs> So I thought, well, God, I guess that's her. <laughs> yeah. So that fits the description, all right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that um, that really did it. I mean, we just really hit it off like uh, sisters. And um, for many years, we had fights like sisters, and we <laughs> had a lot of agreements like sisters. And um, I'll. I'll share this. The last text I got from her when she was very ill was, um, I love you to pieces. You're the sister I never had. So, uh, yeah, I usually cry when I say that, but I didn't this time. And the the two eulogies at her memorial service were were myself and David Gerald. So that lets you know how close I was to her. Yeah. (laughs) That's so sweet. 
Yeah. yeah I, but... finally, I finally met David Gerald. Um, he was at the, that same convention uh, with a new book. And mm. um, always. <laughs> I, I, my cousin was an actor, and he was also a stand up comic. And I had given oh. uh, my my his book that David had written to my cousin, and um, said, "Is it possible to get an autograph?" And it took him months mm-hmm. and months and months. <laughs> and I was like, "I guess he didn't get it." And then he came over to dinner, and he goes, "Here you go." And <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of wondering, did he just get bored and he signed it himself? So. When I saw David at the convention, I said, can I ask you a question? Because you can ask me anything you want. And I said, is this your signature? <laughs> I opened the book. <laughs> well, and he said, yeah, lots of yeah. lots of conventions and very busy in writing the next book, I'm sure. So he finally gets around to digging through all the old requests. Or <laughs> well, I didn't. I just wanted to make sure it was actually his signature. It was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's what I guess I, I he was really sweet about it. I guess he goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, now he's now he's thrilled at being a granddad. Now his big thing is I'm a grandpa and I love my grandkids and I'm I'm you know it's it's just very very refreshing to see David so family oriented to the point of um, his uh, Facebook site is filled with just wonderful stories of the kids. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. It is. So yes. he went from a, a, a kid writer, basically, uh-huh. teen writer, yeah, to now he's uh-huh. grandpa. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, he's still a writer. <laughs> still a very oh, good writer. He's just uh, he's just really um, enamored of his grandkids and you know Sean and his son and everything. So it's just he's getting much closer to being a family dude now. <laughs> is is his son a writer too? No, 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 Sean's not. No, I don't think. Maybe for all I know, Sean writes. I'm not that. I've only met Sean, uh, oh, my goodness, several times, but not that many. So um, I don't know really what his calling is. Um, but uh, anyway, David wrote that book about him, uh, The Martian Child. He's ado- mm-hmm. Sean's adopted. And uh David, you know, adopted him as a single dad, and, um, you know, he was a troubled kid at the time, and he's grown so much. He's just so really wonderful person now. So um, David saw him through a lot of troubles, you know, when you get a a child that's a little bit uh, introspective and, you know, hides in a box for fun, and (laughs) you can read The Martian Child, (laughs) but... um, Turned out wonderfully, and uh, great grandkids and everything. That's great. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. About family. Yep, I think so. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So, I you guys, you and Dorothy wrote a book. Is that right? Yeah, we wrote a, a short novel. And you want me to start telling you all about the book? <laughs> well, that was like I can tell you. Transition. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, it started uh, in the mid-80s when a beautiful comic book illustrator and writer named Bud Lewis brought a story to Dorothy and I about the return of King Arthur, who's only asleep uh, in a cave somewhere and will will return when uh, Britain needs him the most. That's one of the legends. And... um, he had this idea, and uh, he had some drawings for it because he was originally going to make it a graphic novel. And then he brought it to us and thought maybe we should all do it as a script. So he proposed that to Dorothy and I, and we read his material, and we really liked it. And Dorothy was a huge Arthurian fan. Just she loved anything about um Yeah, she was. King Arthur and, and the round table and everything about him and uh, – uh, so she was into it, and I got into it, and so we wrote a script, and it did pretty well. We got a lot of good uh, responses, but it was in an era where they couldn't do the effects, and uh, not nearly as well. 
as they can now. And we have a um, a, a character who is a, sort of a dragon, but he doesn't like to be called a dragon. His name is Yaustus. And uh, he talks, and he's up there with the rest of the humans, and that would not have worked back then. Um, it would have been a puppet or some guy in a suit, and we didn't want that, and producers didn't want that. So it's kind of a ho- before its time. So we shelved it. And um, Dorothy and I decided, well, this would make a really nice novel or a novel series. So years later, um, we started outlining it and changing it quite a bit, but basically going with the basic story as a, as a novel. And we wrote a couple of ideas for um, a sequel. And we started writing it and um, based on our outline, and she wrote a section, I wrote a section, she'd write a section, and we'd trade and edit each other and then get it back, um, get it back to each other. And then she was teaching so much and getting into her students at the American Film Institute where she, she taught screenwriting. So she mm-hmm. was getting into, you know, grading the students and working so hard that she was supposed to finish another section and she didn't get around to it. And then she became ill. And uh, after her death, I finished the book. So based on what we had already started, can you still hear me here? (laughs) Yeah, I'm listening. This is great. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's a lot of it. So I I finished the book and I got it. um, I went to several publishers and I got a kind of a runaround from a couple. And we like it, but we don't want it this quarter. Or the subject matter is not popular now. Well, there have been a bunch of bombed King Arthur movies, but not pros. Uh, it's not Arthur is always popular in prose, but the movie world, yeah, it wasn't popular. But I just got sick of it, so I self-published it. And its name is Futurus Rex, the Future King, and uh, it's Arthur waking up in the distant, far distant future where a post-Holocaust world has um, taken over, and uh, Britain is nothing like it was. And it's a gone. It's gone to sort of a medieval, um, you know, uh, existence again. And that's very much Arthur can identify with his time. But he wakes uh, in a cave, and uh, he's supposed to be with his knights. But nope, only but only one left is his evil little nephew Modred. <laughs> so yeah, so we've got you know we've got that to deal with through the whole book, and it's interesting that way. But there's a parallel world that is called the Enchantment, and that's kind of the land of the Fae. And uh, magic is uh, real there, but uh, in the world of Futurus Rex, we have people calling themselves uh, you know magicians and. Uh, magic people who are just using old technology to keep the populace, the uh, peasant populace in line. It's not really magic. A few of them have psychic powers, so that appears to be magic. But uh, they got the wool pulled over the populace people's eyes. And uh, it's a clash of worlds. It's, um, you know, the past and the future and there's romance in it, and there's a love triangle, and there's plenty of action, lots of futuristic weaponry, a lot, some humor. It's a, there's a Robin Hood group called the Foresters, led by a very cute, of course, uh, leader, very Robin Hood-esque, except for they rob from the rich and then they keep it. <laughs> they don't give to the poor. They are the poor most of the time. But uh, they rob from the rich, and then, of course, some of them are going to um, help with a rebellion against these evil um, magician-type people, mages. So uh, Arthur will be involved in that. And so it's got a little of everything, and it's it's a short, fast-moving book. Dorothy did not want to write a nine-jillion-page Game of Thrones. It's taking this story and... Um, you know, moving along, so it's not a long book. I have gone back to our notes, and I am writing the sequel. So that that's where that's at. So you're, but so it you're has already a, writing it, a second part. I'm sorry? You're already writing a second part. 
I'm working. I'm I'm on. I'm still fleshing out my outline from my own ideas and things I changed in the first book, and then uh, from our notes. Yeah. So I haven't actually written anything, but the working on the big outline right now. <laughs> That's cool. Because I write that way. Other people just, you know, they have an idea and they just let their characters take them wherever they take them, and that's one way to write. I usually plan it out, and then, of course, the characters are going to take it somewhere else anyway. They're going to take mm-hmm. off and do things you didn't plan. But I do have to write from some kind of a basic, you know, rise and fall plan. <laughs> In TV, it will be called a beat outline, but I don't do – you know, I'm not writing TV. I'm writing a book, so it's it's got a lot more to it. <laughs> so, um, do you like writing books as opposed to a television show? Ah, uh, both of them have pros and cons. Uh, television, unless you're the showrunner, you're going to get it changed. You know, people are going to take your baby and say our character wouldn't do that or whatever. And change it for monetary reasons. They can't shoot that. Uh, the character changed, you know, since the time you were assigned to this. It's just a lot of change that you don't. Inst- uh, you do have editors, of course, when you write prose, when you write a book. But um, usually, it's not quite as intense as it is when you're writing television. Um, I did write a, a movie of the week, but it never got produced. I, the guys that I was writing it for got fired. That happens a lot. I have a, I've, I would have sold a lot more. I did sell a lot more. It just never got shot. Either the showrunner got canned or the show got canned before mine got shot. That happened on Amazing Stories. I wrote two of those and uh, they never got shot because the show got canned. <laughs> so yeah, usually and, if and you're hiring... I'm sorry? I was just going to say I was just going to say the way they go nowadays, the like, show gets canned if it doesn't make it within three episodes or something. Yeah, it's a little more intense. There were more There were more episodes written, too. It was like 20-something back in the day. Um, yeah. And a lot of them were not staff written. Now it's a staff. Almost everybody, uh, they don't have freelancers coming in and pitching. You, uh, you're on staff on a show, and they write them all. So it's a lot different than it was. But there's, there are good things about both of them. I kind of enjoy being able to make your characters live and breathe and have a lot more to say and a lot more to think and uh, more more description. Um, but our first novel doesn't have – it moves right along. <laughs> this next one, I'm going to try to um, kind of answer some questions that some of the readers had about, well, I want to know more about this or – are these people ever going to meet these people? And, you know, so I'm answering all those questions. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I yep. mean, it's interesting because, you know, yeah, readers come up with stuff you don't expect. They have people that yeah. like, that they, sometimes yeah. they're less skilled, but they're legitimate questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they come up with some, you, you know, you think you found all your holes, your story holes or your logic holes. And once in a while, they'll come up with something, and you go, uh, you know, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> or I better figure out an answer for that. But I don't have a lot of them, but there's a couple of things people just want to know more about. Or they want to see more of uh, going inside the enchantment. We only went inside the enchantment, um, you know, to um, a couple of times in the book. I don't want to give anything away, but a couple of times in the book we go inside. But they want no, a lot of people wanted to know more about it. They want to see more of a romance between Arthur and Aliena, who's our songsayer, our troubadour, who is basically leading a rebellion. So they want to know more about her, and uh, they want them to get together. And uh, there's a, there is a several relationships in the book that people wanted more of. So we're going to do that. (laughs) That's cool. And um, are you going to be doing any kind of like conventions or book fairs or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Well, I did LostCon in uh, last November and uh, quite successfully. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of panels and – Sold the book there and talked about it and other things and all my writing cast and what other things I'm going to do. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I was invited to Westercon, but I couldn't get a plane. It's, uh, it's a, the weirdest thing. It's They're having it um, right before the 4th of July 
And, of course, it's in Anaheim at one of the big Disneyland-type, you know, right near Disneyland hotels. And every plane from Albuquerque going to Anaheim was booked. (laughs) Going to the John Wayne Airport was booked. And, um, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I wanted to go American uh, because I have points on that. And I wanted to go um, fly that way because I wasn't invited as a guest of honor or anything. I was just invited as a program participant. So they don't pay your way. So I had to uh, try to find, you know, I have points on American. And every American flight, uh, it was booked. By the time, you know, I said I'd come, they were, it was booked. So <laughs> wow. So I'm not doing WesterCon because I couldn't get out there. And um, I don't drive. I'm not going to drive there. I don't drive freeways that much anymore but um but there are other things i do that yes and i'm doing bubonicon in albuquerque there's an eight an old convention that goes way back called bubonicon like the plague and it has something yeah. to do with a with a yeah it has something to do with a rat and the albuquerque science fiction and fantasy society so uh i really don't know all the story i need to figure it out but it's named after the bubonic plague <laughs> But it's been around forever, and it's it's a, it's not large, but it's not tiny either. It's sort of a little medium sized, and I'm doing that, and I'm on a lot of panels on that, and that's August the 25th through the 27th at the Marriott Hotel here in Albuquerque. So <laughs> come on to the Southwest, yeah, and um, it's fun, and uh, all the it has all the standard convention things. It has a you know a Costume competition, cosplay thing. Um, oh my goodness, it has everything um, that you'd expect. And uh, last year, George R. R. Martin, of course, who lives in Santa Fe, um, he came down and was doing a couple of panels. So it's got some good people, and it's yeah, a lot of fun. So I'm doing that, that and I do do some signings. I do a few signings, and uh, I'm not as I'm trying to get this other book written. So it's it's hard to publicize while you're trying to write, you know. But yeah. when uh, in this day and age, even famous authors, if you're not Stephen King, your public publisher doesn't do that much work for you. You have to publicize your own book, even if you are yeah. with a major publisher. So yeah. I have several friends uh, that, you know, they go out and, you know, their publisher does a little, but not enough. So um, they go out and they do everything they possibly can. But I found that you can spend all your time marketing and no time writing. So <laughs> it's it's frustrating. Yes. So, yeah, I'm trying and to. Uh, hard. It's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. It's. Um, you know, it's booking yourself in, and then you get to be known a little, and you get a few more bookings, and um, it's just um, difficult. And I don't like sitting at a dealer's room table trying to sell my book when I could be at the convention talking to fans and talking to people who become new friends. So um, I try to either get somebody else to sell my book <laughs> in the uh, – in the dealer's room or do it, do it at uh, autograph sessions and things like that, which seems to work quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm not through, but I've reinvented myself. Here we go. I'm sure you've done this too. I've reinvented myself in the showbiz genre about six times. So when, um, when the writing started to kind of dry up, um, my, you know, I had an agent die. I had people, I've had all kinds of crazy things that kind of, put a you know real stop to my career after zone after watching writing twilight zone the version that was on in the 80s and um you know other things the amazing stories and the last season of hawaii 50 oh my god the old hawaii 50 with jack lord uh so i wrote a lot of things that didn't get on for the showrunner got canned and they threw everything the baby out with the bathwater everything the person had bought was thrown out and uh, or the show got canned, so I decided then I was going to put two things together. I what do I know? Journalism, which I majored in under mysteries, you know Navajo mystery writer Tony Hillerman here at UNM in Albuquerque. He was my mentor and my teacher, and um, now I'm friends with his daughter Anne, but who's continuing his writing. But anyway, um, yeah, you know it's just 
it's really hard. I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, You're my God. You were talking about the things you were doing for your book. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So it's just um, – I got a new agent and reinvented. I was talking about reinvention, which we've all done. And uh, so I thought, what do I know? Journalism and, and entertainment. So I'll be an entertainment journalist. And that's what I turned myself into for the past 20 years of my working life. I just retired from that at the end of 2021. So um, I worked for several websites. And I went all over the world as a journalist and uh, had a lot of fun. And uh, then I thought, well, that's over because um, the screenings that used to be here in Albuquerque don't exist anymore. And it started with the pandemic when they started putting everything on HBO Max. In other words, if you were a journalist, you could have a code and go on to HBO Max and see a movie early. And that took the place of screenings. But they stopped the screenings, and then the last website that was of any size that I was working for folded. So that was the writing on the wall. So I retired at the end of 2021, and I was already trying to finish this book. And so then I reinvented myself as a novelist. So um, I've been a, a hard news person. My first job was at KRON, as I mentioned, in San Francisco, where I was a kind of an associate producer and, uh, you know, did the graphics and kind of got the show, helped get the shows together. And then um, then I went on to, to L.A. where I worked in CBS for many years in the story department, reading other people's scripts and recommending them for purchase or not. And I did that for 13 years and then I, before I started writing television. So I've reinvented myself about four or five times, and uh, now I'm just going to write books. <laughs> it's easier in many ways, huh? <laughs> well, no, it's not. Well, like I said, it's it's uh, the self pub the self publishing and the um, publicity and marketing is quite difficult unless you give it your full time. You do it all the time, and if you mm-hmm. do it all the time, when do you write? <laughs> Yeah. I know a bunch sure. of people are listening to this and know what I'm talking about because there's a lot of oh, yeah. people who I have. Do. Yeah, even if they didn't self-publish, they they you have to keep flacking something so people will read it and enjoy it. I don't care about the money. I really don't. I care about people enjoying a story that Dorothy loved. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to cry. Oh, boy. Mm. It's a story that she loved and wanted out there. And um uh, that's why the biggest reason, although I loved it too, the biggest reason why I finished it. But it's not finished. I'm still working. <laughs> and I have yeah, stuff I that I want to do. There's things I want to do. And there's things I have that are nothing to do with King Arthur <laughs> that I would like to uh, get going. I had one going, and then I stopped to finish this. So now I'm, people go, well, are you going to write a sequel? I Well, I guess. So, <laughs> more story. Oh, Walt Koenig read it and gave us a wonderful, Walt Koenig of Trek, you know, check off of the original Trek, uh, read it and gave us a really nice review. So that made me happy. Oh, that's so great. Um, yeah. We're coming to the end. Uh, you ha- okay. you have a new website? Yeah, I've got, uh, I just didn't, you know, got it up. It's okay. It, you know, we're tweaking it, but it's lynnbarker.net. And that's L Y N N Barker, all one word, B A R K E R dot net. Dot com was taken by some other Lynn Barker, so I'm dot net. And the book <laughs> has a fan page uh, on Facebook, just under Futurist Rex, and please come and join and follow. And it has the latest news about me writing, what I'm doing, and has some uh, interesting pictures, for sure, photos of Dorothy and I throughout the ages here. And um, some stuff about her and stuff. I do readings from the book, so you get a little taste of it. And uh, the book is out as an audio book, and it's wonderful. Stacy Lind did a beautiful job narrating it, and that's out. And then, of course, as a paperback and a uh, ebook. So that's it's great. everywhere. It's everywhere. And <laughs> but check out the if you do Facebook, check out our fan page, and um, it's. It's informative and, I'm told, fun, so that's good. Um, Do you have any other social media so if people want to say hi, they can? Uh, uh, Well, just my – 
No, I don't do all that. I, I just don't. I, I have an IMDb page, both IMDb and IMDb Pro, Internet Movie Database dot com with all my work on it, you know, my uh film TV work on them on it. And you can contact me if you want to ask me about the book or anything, uh at futurusdc at gmail dot com. That's F U T U R U S D C Dorothy Catherine, of course. <laughs> at uh, gmail.com. If you write there, I can answer your questions or anything. But um, I am IMDb. I have an Amazon author page. They can write me there, or they can write a message on uh, uh, Goodreads. Go to Goodreads. I have a Goodreads author page. Yeah, that's, that's actually easier to contact on than Amazon. Goodreads is a lot better. Yeah, um, but yeah, you, I have a little blog I try to get to on that as well and um, tell you what I'm reading, what I want to read next, and things like that. So that is my Amazon author page on Goodreads. And um, I've got that, and uh, that's about all I can keep up. That's the problem. See, here we go again <laughs> with when do you write. Yeah, exactly. So, All right. But any um, of those will to... keep you up on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Goodreads and Facebook are the best ways, and your and your website are the best ways to keep up with what you're doing. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with me. It's been so much fun. For sure. Um, thank you very much, and thank you for chatting with Sherry.